Hello and welcome back to the Beast Mamas podcast. Today is episode 11 and I'll be interviewing Linda Williams. She's a friend, a mother, wife, founder of School of Etiquette and Writing, author, lecturer, writing coach, and etiquette consultant. Welcome, Linda, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, Farah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about being here with you this afternoon. Don't ask me any hard questions. No, they're not. They're not hard questions. I promise you. I promise they're not hard questions. Definitely. So, so Linda, you know, we've known each other for over what? A decade? At least. Yes. Maybe a little more, maybe a little longer than that. I was going to say, do you remember the time we met? I believe it was the first tea um, that we had at the church and you came and you did a a demonstration about your teas. Um, I think that was the first time that we met. Yeah. Yeah. I believe you invited me to your sorority event. Is that correct? Um, I had, I'm trying to think what that was. It was a conference or something that I was doing and I invited you to come. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now you're picking my brain. I, am. <laughs> I, I can't remember what it was. I don't know. I don't remember myself. That's way back then. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I don't think I had children then. You know what? I don't think you did. Yeah. Because Ethan's mm-hmm. 11. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it absolutely. Was it was before time. that. Yes. Wow. And I remember being at Friendship Baptist and um, just how welcoming everyone was and and meeting Pastor Lewis. Mm -hmm. May his soul rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very um, I don't know. I think it's one of the things that drew me to the church was their welcoming spirit. And, you know, not just some of the people there. But just about everybody. I mean, for when you say an, a church or an organization has a name that fits them, their name really does fit them because they're very welcoming, very yeah. genuine. Pastor Lewis. Yeah. Um, he was a mentor to me. He really yeah. was. He yeah. was a visionary. He was. He absolutely was. Yeah. And, and you know, Sister Audrey Lewis, his wife, you know, yes. I can... I mean, she was she was so moving in and just enhancing the health and empowerment of the church, especially women in the church. And then she brought me in. I'm trying to remember how I even connected with Sister Lewis and how I connected with Friendship Baptist. That I don't know, but I do remember that she is the one that mentioned your name to me mm. when I went to her with the idea about having a ladies afternoon tea mm. that I remember she had suggested your name and I think she yeah. gave me your information and then yeah. I contacted you but yeah she's a wonderful lady she, really she is. is she yeah. is I'm thinking now I believe that Eric initially was working on the IT management and web design. Oh, okay. I'm going way back. Wow. When Eric had just started his company. Mm-hmm. I think wow. that I was connected to them through Eric's company. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. It's just, you yeah. know, you meet, you meet beautiful people along the way and, and they change your life. I mean, I was back many, many times yes. doing health yes. seminars, women's yes. conferences. It comes from someone, mm-hmm. only someone having a vision mm-hmm. and then bringing it into fruition. And Sister Audrey and, and Pastor Liz, they did that, you know, for their community. You they know, absolutely did. They did. I, I have a question to ask you because I know you're very active in the church and you continue to be. Right. What does community mean to you? And, and why is it so important for you to give back to your community? You know, I I have been blessed to have some very amazing people in my life, um, starting with my mother, uh, the pastor that I was under before Pastor Lewis, um, colleagues that I have been with, and they have helped me to get to the point, not only helped me, but encouraged me and pushed me and pulled me um, to do the things that I do now because they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. It's what I like to do for other people. That's why I teach etiquette. That's why I am a book coach because when I see things in people that they don't see in themselves, I like to help them to bring it out, to bring it into fruition. Um, Because sometimes if you don't have someone to do that, it never happens because you don't see it in yourself. So community to me is just giving back and paying it forward. You know, we're not in this world by ourselves. And there's always an opportunity to help someone around you. And I believe that you have to take every opportunity to do that, even if it's a small thing, you know, uh, giving of your time. It doesn't always have to be money, but we are in, you you know, um, I think it was Hillary Clinton that said it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village for a community. And we all Mm -hmm. have to work together. That's true. That's very true. The moment we met at that first tea, Mm -hmm. I feel like you, you took me under your wings. You've, you've always supported me. You've always supported Gaia's essence. And for a, a young entrepreneur, a young woman, just a young lady starting up, that meant a lot to me. And I've told you that before. And I'm, I'm telling the world now, like you just said, Someone seeing a gift in someone else and giving them an opportunity. It doesn't always have to be money. It can be time to be opening up a door for them. And you did that for me. You opened many doors through. And you were proud when I walked through, but you gave me the addresses to all these different locations. And I walked through so many doors. So I want to tell you, just thank you for giving me these opportunities because they changed my life. And they are why I am here today. And you know what? I, the first time I met you, I, I felt like you were another daughter. I really <laughs> did. <laughs> and I, I saw what you were doing. I had never um, met someone who w- was, was a scientist, really, and was <laughs> creating these wonderful teas. And I'm like, wow, what an amazing young lady. Okay. You know, and, and one of the other things that, I am very famous for doing is connecting people. 
because I have developed a lot of resources throughout my business career and even my in my personal life. And every time, you know, someone is talking about something, I'm like, oh, I know someone who may be able to help you, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what we need. Sometimes we we do know what we want to do, but we don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. Or we don't know who we need to help us. And so, you know, with you, I just and I remember that first conference that you did. Yeah. I was like a <laughs> proud mama. I was like, oh my goodness, look where she has come. Yeah. And and you have just you have touched so many lives, so many people. Wow. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say was the conference, yeah. the virtual conference was yeah. amazing. And, you know, I, I thought when I, when you first told me it was going to be virtual, I'm like, I was disappointed, you know, because the interacting with all the people and, but it was amazing. I mean, you did an amazing job and people talk about the pandemic and they talk about, you know, how terrible it is. And it is, people are dying and it's, people are sick and it's really bad. However. There are blessings that have come out of this pandemic. Um, So many platforms that used to be physical became virtual. And Mm -hmm. as you said, now they reach the four corners of the world. And it's all because we could not be in physical closeness. Um, So the, the conference was amazing. And I'm looking forward to another virtual conference next year. We moved on to a virtual platform. So now it's a little different. But the conference last year was so special, you know, apart from my mom being able to attend for the first time, we, we were global. And we are now a global conference. And, and I'm so happy to have reached women on all corners of the world, because I feel like all these women need the conference. Mm -hmm. Um, That it's just amazing. And I think that you are also a, an excellent example for young women um, of, of all nationalities that if you really want to do something, you can do it. I mean, you have a husband two relatively young children. One of them is famous and he's all over the place. (laughs) I mean, and you still manage to run this company, have these conferences, connect with all these ladies, have a podcast. I mean, you, you're an inspiration to me to just, you know, no matter how hard it looks, you have to try. Yeah. I think for us this year, we're planning on on sticking virtual because of the state of the global health right now and and COVID and the pandemic. You know, we will be back in person because I miss that. I miss miss hugging the women. I miss connecting. I miss being in the same room. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Last year was special. It was. It was was very different. Mm -hmm. But what I guess the consensus of people who attended both the in-person and the virtual conference was we were able to keep the warmth and essence of an in-person event. And that was very difficult yes. to achieve and we did it. So I'm, I'm grateful for my, to my team for yes. actually making that happen. Mm-hmm. And so I own, I know that this year is going to be even more amazing because we've, we learned the program, we've learned the platform mm-hmm. and we know what to expect now. And so it's very exciting. So we have something special that we're planning. It's called the New Year, New You Summit. 
And it's a summit on the eight pillars of health. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. So, so that's something. And we plan on doing it in January, but January is a hard month because it's right after the holidays. Yes. And so people are really just coming down from vacation, traveling. Mm -hmm. So we figured we'll do it in the end of February. So keep posted for the information. We will let you know about it. But, you know, I, I love running events. I love, I love hosting and yes. I'm surprised even myself how much I've enjoyed hosting the podcast. Mm -hmm. And my husband reminded me, he's like, you've been hosting events for so long. So you've been a host for over a decade. <laughs> That's true. I, you know, you, you, you say that I'm an inspiration to, to so many and I'm, I'm happy to be an inspiration. But when I host these conferences, all these women inspire me. It's, it's a celebration and a big party for them and hey i love to dress up and you know and it's fun for me too and it's fun for me to connect but when i see all of them and i see all of them speaking to each other and connecting and now to have the podcast and now we're in israel we're in canada you know in addition to the us that makes me feel good that makes me know that now the voice of so many women are connecting across the globe. Mm -hmm. And that has been my vision, my vision of connecting women and making a safe space. Cause I felt like I had a safe space mm -hmm. and I wanted to create that for many other women. My mom told me I could be anything I wanted to be in the world. I needed to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. I had to want it that bad. Right. And I had to yeah. work hard for it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's the thing because well, two things. First of all, sometimes people don't realize that realizing your dream is work. Mm -hmm. Nothing worth having comes easily. Yeah. And so you really, if there's something you want to do, you have to develop a passion for it because that is the only way that you are going to persevere mm -hmm. to do what you want to do. It, it's similar to when I work with my clients to write a book mm -hmm. and people think, Oh, I'd like to write a book. You know, that's a really nice thing. How do I do that? <laughs> and as I begin to lay it out to them, they're like, oh, that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard. But if you've been given a story to tell, yeah. then you need to tell it. And, you know, I have been given the gift of being able to help pull these, pull these stories out of people and oh. get them on paper and get them published. Right? <laughs> <laughs> in you sharing your story, one, it's allowing you to heal from just telling right. from your own point of view. And then two, some other woman, oh man, they're going to learn because they might be going through something that you've experienced in the past mm -hmm. and that can help them as well. And That's so you, true. it's just lessons, lessons learned, lessons and blessings and just blessing someone else. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's exactly what I say to my clients when they uh, are either hesitant or procrastinating a bit about writing their book. I said, there is someone out there waiting to hear your story because they need to hear what you've gone through to help them. Yeah. You know, and that and that usually kind of pushes them in the right direction. And it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't go through the life experiences that we go through just for ourselves. Yeah. We go through them so that we can share them with someone else and help them. And mm -hmm. they may still make the same mistake, but at some point they'll remember what they heard 
And I think it helps them to just continue to go through. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I've become a very transparent person. I, I really have because I feel like all that I have gone through both in my business and my personal life, mm -hmm. um, some of it tough, some of it, you know, has been really good. It's all been great. It's all been joyful. Mm -hmm. um, I am blessed beyond measure and I'm happy about what I do with my clients. I mean, people say, you know, I tell people that I'm a, a, a shy person, but don't start me talking about my business. And all of a sudden I can talk to you for hours because I love what I do. Um, and that's important. It's important. Loving what you do is key. Can you explain to our listeners just how someone with an idea of writing a book, how do they go from the concept of having the idea and how do you, how do you navigate with your clients who come to you on, on writing their own books? So what I, what I try to do with them first is just have them fill out some information because some people come and they've already started writing a manuscript. Some people come and they just have an idea, but they haven't written anything down. Some people come and they don't even know what they want to write about, but they just, <laughs> they just know they want to write a book. So, so I have, once I get that information, then we have a, a session, uh, about one hour, a Zoom session, and we just talk and I ask them to tell me how they came up with the idea, what makes them write a book, what makes them want to write a book, what's the story about. And then there's a process that I go through with them. I have an online course. And so they have to purchase the online course mm -hmm. and start with the first two um, core, the first two lessons in the course. And then I give them something called a blueprint. And the blueprint is basically like, uh, it's like the framework for a book. So you have to, in the blueprint, talk about what are the key points of your book? Um, give me one line that tells me about the book. Uh, write a table of contents, a tentative table of contents. What's the title of the book? And I have them go through like 15 different titles. It's like a brainstorming or a mind mapping session. That's brilliant. And then uh, once that's over, then I ask them about the structure of the book. Is it a narrative? Is it a memoir? Is it a children's book? And to give me some information on that. And then I ask them to write a tentative chapter of the book. And then we come back together and I go through all of that. And by that time, they have it. What that really does is help them to focus better on what they want to write. And once they do that, then they're pretty much on their way to writing. And then we have periodic meetings whenever they think they're stuck or they need help or mm -hmm. they've written something, they think they're done, but they've only written 50 pages and they send it to me. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you Keep writing. you're just, you're just starting. <laughs> so, so that's basically the process that we go through. And then once, they're finished, then we have to go through the editing process. I have resources that I send them to for professional editing. I do um, the uh, like preliminary editing 
just to make see that the, the manuscript makes sense and you know do proofreading and that kind of stuff but the actual content and developing um editing i give to someone else to do because that's a whole nother expertise and mm -hmm. if i do that i won't have time to help my clients um so we do that and then we come back together and we decide how you want to publish the book do you want to self-publish do you want a traditional publish mm -hmm. do you want an ebook once we decide on that then we head down that chapter to see the progress and the process to get that done mm -hmm. and once it's published then you know they figure out how they want to market it oh, so wow. it is it is a process but you have to be committed because you don't write a book in two months or three months. It doesn't happen that quickly. I was just going to ask you, what's the duration of time from the moment they sign on to you to get in the book published? It depends on the person. I mean, if the person is really committed to writing the manuscript, they could do it in a year. Um, nice. If they're writing, if they're going to be diligent about writing the manuscript and they're going to self-publish, it takes less time than if they're writing the manuscript and they want to publish traditionally, because then you have to go through a literary agent, you have to find an agent, and then they have the agent has to submit it to the publishing companies that they think would be interesting. So it's a longer process, but it depends on what your goal is for the book. Um, if you are really focused on telling your story, not trying to become wealthy from mm -hmm. writing your book, then mm -hmm. you might want to self-publish. Um, and the other thing is, the other thing is when you traditionally publish, yeah. the publishing company may change things about the book that you don't want changed. So it loses the integrity of what you originally wrote. With a self-published book, they publish it. I mean, they will edit it again for you and go through the process, but However, you tell the story, that's how the book is going to be published. Um, so it could take anywhere from a year to five years, depending on how long it takes mm -hmm. the person. I had one young lady who started her manuscript. Um, she put it down for a couple of years and she picked it back up. It took mm -hmm. her, I think, four years to finish the book. But it's an amazing book. But it's done now. And it's done. Yeah. And it's done. So, yeah, it depends on the person and how committed they are and how they want their publishing journey to go. Okay. Thank you for making the distinction between self-publishing and traditionally publishing your book, because that's very important when you, when you traditionally publish the integrity of the book and just the story that you had in mind may be altered. That's correct. That's correct. So it depends. I mean, if it's a novel and, you know, changing the integrity of the book a bit is okay with you, then that's fine. If it's a memoir and you really want the story to be told, I mean, it's not to say that it still couldn't be traditionally published and you can work with the publishing company, um, but it just depends. You know, if it's a uh, devotional book with devotions in it, you don't want that changed, you self-publish. So that kind of determines how you do. And again, the time frame, because it takes a lot longer with a traditional, traditionally published book than it does a self-published book. 
Nice. Do you do you connect your clients to literary agents? I do. Um, what I do is once the manuscript is completed and while it's going through the editing process, I do some research um, with four literary agents that I think would be a good fit for mm -hmm. the book. And I usually give them between 10 and 20 literary agents. Um, I give them the information about how to reach the agent, what their submission process is, because everybody has different requirements for submission, mm -hmm. um, and why I think that agent is a good fit for them. And then I send it to them. Um, they have to do a book proposal, so that has to be put together. And I help, <clears throat> excuse me, and I help them with that. And uh, then they have to do a query letter or like a letter of introduction. Mm -hmm. I help them with that. And then it's up to them to actually send the letters out with the submission requirement or the emails this day. Usually these days, everything's done by email. Um, not much is done. Not many agents or publishing companies want snail mail. Most of them want emails. So I help them. And then at that point, they have to send it out and see where it goes. Bit of a process, but it is so rewarding. You know, when you when people talk about leaving a legacy, writing a book is leaving a legacy. Um, because I, I have published three books and you know, it, it, it just really occurred to me maybe about a year ago that these books will be here when I'm long gone. Yeah. You know, and they are books on important topics. But even if it's a novel and it's a great novel or it's yeah. your memoirs that you want to leave a legacy for your children and your grandchildren. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to leave a legacy. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So ladies, you know, if you, if you have a concept or an idea of writing a book, Linda is definitely the one that you want to connect with. And so she can guide you through the process. I want to, I want to move on to something that's interesting. Your company, what's the story behind it? Okay. So my company name is actually Etiquette and Writing Consultancy. Yes. That's the name of the business. The School of Etiquette and Writing is my online um, business. Oh, and lovely. it has courses. Right now, there really aren't uh, too many courses in there on etiquette. Mm -hmm. But most of the courses are for writing. Um, yes. For people who want to write a book. But the Etiquette and Writing Consultancy came from my two passions which are etiquette and writing <laughs> and very simple um, yeah very simple i mean it, the name is a little long but it really speaks to what i do and mm. you know in addition to being the book coach i'm also a certified etiquette consultant yeah. and i've been doing that for over 20 years um that that business has kind of changed a little bit because of covid yeah. Um, a lot of my workshops are now virtual yeah. and even what I teach is different because everything now is based on not touching people <laughs> where yeah. historically etiquette is always around about, you know, touching and, and shaking how, hands yeah. and yeah. And engaging with people. It's all changed. 
Wow. Um, but that's where the name came from, came from my two passions. And when I was thinking about the name, because I had a different name and I changed it when I realized that I wanted to become a writing coach. And I'm like, well, etiquette is not really lending itself to that. So I, I was just sat down and wrote down a bunch of names. And this is the one that stuck. I'm like, OK. What was your mom like? Because I know how much etiquette means to you. Is there a link between your mom, her etiquette, and just the person that she was, why etiquette means so much to you? I have a feeling. <laughs> Your feeling is absolutely right. <laughs> because my mom uh, was a stickler for doing things the right way. Sounds like my mother. <laughs> um, and she didn't, you know, yell and scream. She didn't talk a lot, but you knew what the rules were and you best follow them. Mm -hmm. um, she, it's funny because my mom, um, God, God rest her soul. My mom came to New York from Florida as a migrant worker, um, she and my stepdad, uh -huh. and they worked um, until they got a job. My father, stepfather worked for the railroad, and my mom got a job working for Fisher-Price Toys as a supervisor. And she didn't, she hadn't finished high school, but she wanted to get her high school diploma. When she decided to get it, uh, I think my daughter Tiffany was in high school, not retired, it was a few years before she retired, but she went back to school, did her equivalency exam, got her high school diploma, even took some college courses. <laughs> and that's kind of where I get my motivation that I don't know how to stop because she just, you know, she's, she was always doing something, but yes, she was a very refined lady. Um, and a, a quick story, I, I, this is, I guess it was a traumatic experience because I was a child, probably about 12 or so. Mm -hmm. And Saturday was always cleanup day. That Saturday was the day that my you house had to well. clean. And before you did anything else or went anywhere, house had to be cleaned and then whatever. So it was Saturday morning and I don't know, I was lounging around, got up late and I was supposed to be going to this birthday party. And I got up, I'm lounging around and dragging my feet. I had some breakfast, but I didn't clean my room nor do anything else that I was supposed to do. And then I said to my mom, um, what time should I start getting dressed for the party? <laughs> And my mom was like, what party? And whoever's party it was, I was like, you know, her party. And she's like, have you done what you were supposed to do? And I said, well, no, but I'm going to. And she stopped me in mid-sentence. And she said, then you're not going. And uh, I learned from that lesson that everything has, you know, a time and a purpose and an order. Mm -hmm. And that has to be followed. Oh, and that was the other thing. By the time I was starting to get ready, I would have been late. Yeah. And that was the other thing. Mm -hmm. You don't go late to anything. Either you go on time or you don't go. Wow. 
so yeah, she was um, she was a a wonderful lady, yeah. but she meant what she, she said what she meant, and she meant what she said. Yeah, <laughs> I just had I had a feeling that the connection to etiquette was from was from your mom. Absolutely, yeah. yes, and. I'll never forget the first time she came to one of my um, workshops that I did. It was for a high school class and I had invited, it was Mother's Day weekend and I mm-hmm. had invited her to come down and she came down and afterwards uh, she said to me, she goes, I am so proud of you. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it just, it came from her. Yeah. It really did. And when I decided that I wanted to get this certification, um, it was because I was encouraged by, I was doing the workshops mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. people were talking about how great they were and how much they learned. And I didn't have any formal training at that point, but I always believe that if you're going to do something, you need to have some kind of training certification or something. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to become a certified etiquette consultant. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she sounds very much like my mother. Really? Yes. (laughs) Very proper. Uh Still is. Uh I mean, dresses to the T. You know, she's a lioness. She's a simpson. She makes her own clothes. I mean, she can she can make something just from looking at it in a magazine, and she creates. Yep, she creates the patterns and then makes it. So I grew up with my clothes well made and tailored for me. So Uh I was spoiled. But it's like there was a proper way to do everything from posture to the way you speak to the absolutely Saturday was cleanup day. Yeah, um, we we really didn't watch television during the week. It was mm-hmm. not something that we grew up with. Right. And if we did, it was for a limited amount of time and then you stop. But it's all about education. I mean, I remember one time I think I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my friends were getting allowances. And so I went to my mom and I said, you know, you know, my friend had an allowance, you know, and I'd never heard of that before. And I was like excited. So my mother told me, I think I was maybe about the age that you were, maybe about 12. She said, I'm allowing you to stay in my house. She's like, allowance what? She's like, you earn money. She's like, you've been earning money. You if you wanted to do anything extra, you clean the crates because my parents were farmers. So we had these uh-huh. plastic crates. We would put the fruits in, like the mm-hmm. tangerines and grapefruits. And she's like, hey, a dollar per crate. You've been doing it. And so she's <laughs> like, I don't believe in just giving children money. She's like, you have to earn. And she's like, that's very nice that your friend gets an allowance. But she's like, I'm allowing you to stay in my house. And I will never forget that. That's right. That's right. Same here. Yeah. I got an allowance, but I had to earn it. And if I didn't do what I was supposed to, I yeah. did not get it. Yeah, I did not get it. Yeah, our parents were definitely alike. My mo- my mother was a stickler mm. for education. I, I, I explained yeah. to you about hers. And she said to me, it's not a matter of if you're going to college. It's a yeah. matter of where you're going where? to college. It wasn't an option. You, no. you were going to college. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. But, you know. I look at how our parents raised us. Yeah. And I know it's a different world and a different generation, mm-hmm. but I raised my children. I mean, I looked at look, my my parents didn't do everything perfectly. You know, there were some things that With I humans. think they could have done 
differently. Absolutely. And so when my husband and I had children, I tried to take those things that I saw that my parents did that helped me be a better person and make and, you know, have my children do those things. And the things I thought could have been done a little differently, I did them differently. But my children will tell you, basically, they were raised the way I was raised. And my -hmm. son is not married yet, so he doesn't have children. But my daughter is married. She has two children. And she's raising them like (laughs) I raised her. You know, because there has to be rules. There has to be discipline. There has to be um, a path. You know, what are you doing? You're going to school. Okay, that's fine. You're going to school. You come home. You don't sit in front of the TV and watch video games. My daughter, who my granddaughter, who just turned four in September. Already? Yes. In September, she turned four. But when she was a baby, Mm -hmm. she could not even touch or look at a cell phone. Mm -hmm. My daughter was like, I I don't want them to be around cell phones. They don't need to be around them now. You know, when they get a little older, yes, because she didn't want them so attached to Mm -hmm. it. Because people, children need to learn how to read a book, play a game, yeah. you know, a, a physical game, not a yeah. video game, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and we've lost a lot of that. Yeah. And I, and I think, I know it's a technological age and I know that technology is important and mm-hmm. it is a big part of our lives, mm-hmm. but I don't think it should dominate our lives. I think we need to know how to do things Mm -hmm. the long way before Mm -hmm. we learn how to do them the short way. Absolutely. How to memorize telephone numbers before we put them in our phone and can't remember anybody's number unless we go in and look at it. I love what you said, but it's, it's true. I think it's, it's setting boundaries, setting boundaries for, for your, your children in your house, knowing that there are things that they have to get done. And if these things get done, then there are rewards. And not, not bringing them up like the world out there is a fairy tale. And I think that's what we forget it. When they step out that door and they're independent and mommy and daddy can't save them, Mm -hmm. you have to give them the tools, the emotional intelligence to survive. And, you know, I used to tell my children when they were growing up, I'm not your friend. Um, I am not your friend. Mm -hmm. I know you're not going to like some of the things that, you know, that Mm -hmm. I tell you, you have to do. Mm -hmm. I know that your friends are doing things that you're not allowed to do, but these are all things to help you to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And in addition to wanting them to go out and have the right tools, Mm -hmm. I had a bit of a selfish reason. And that reason was I didn't want my children (laughs) to be 40 years old and still be at home. Yeah, I want them to have the tools so that they are ready and yeah. willing yeah. and able to go to out in the world and make their own way. Because I'm not going to be here always. Yeah. So you have to learn how to be independent. And yeah. if I don't teach those things to yeah. you, you'll be dependent on me. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and we've taught our children that this, this is life. Mm-hmm. There are rules to this game. It's a yes. game. It's the game of life. That's right. You have to understand the rules. Yeah. And these are just the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And you play the rules, you live a beautiful life. Right. Exactly. If you don't, there's something out there waiting for you that you may not like. 
And you have to suffer the consequences. That's for your it. actions. And that's just it. Yes. We, we taught our kids delayed gratification. By the time they were two, they understood. You can have something now uh-huh. or you can wait later and have it then. Yeah. Delayed exactly. gratification. Yes. What it means to build a business. Yes. All these tools, financial independence, all these things are very, very important. If we don't teach these children how to thrive, yeah. how to balance a checkbook, what's a checkbook? That's right. What's a debit card? What's credit? Yes. Yes. If they don't have these tools, how do they survive? Right. How to build a business in this economy? Yeah. yeah. How do they thrive? And you know what else? I mean, the teachers have a humongous mm. responsibility these days. And a lot of it I don't want to say it's political, but it is kind of because there's certain things that they have to accomplish, you know, as far as um, uh, making sure that all their children are on a certain level mm-hmm. and testing is on a certain level and all these things, which I'm not saying are not important, but it doesn't leave them room to teach many life skills. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but when I was going to school, we had home economics. Yep. And that taught us a lot of things Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, life, how to cook, how to sew, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how to how to uh, raise uh, flowers or plants, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things, how you dress. You know, all those things we learned in home economics, they don't have that anymore. It's been gone a very long time. And so we as parents have to realize that life skills should and have to be taught by us. We cannot leave it up to the schools. It's up to them to do it. It's enough if they if they fulfill if the schools fulfill their educational requirements for our Mm -hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, even that's not happening. But certainly, mm-hmm. if they do that, then as far as I'm concerned, they've done their job. Us as parents, to teach them life skills and to make sure that they're learning what they're supposed to be in school. You know, like my my children will tell you, I know you homeschool, but <laughs> mine went to, God bless you. Um, but, but, but mine went to, they went to private school for a while and then they went to public school um, yeah. because my husband and I both felt that they needed to know what the real world was like. Both and sides. School, yes. And private school wasn't, I mean, it gave them a fantastic education mm-hmm. for the time they were there, but they needed to know real world. But when we put them in public school, we were there for every PTA meeting. We were there for every parent-teacher conference. Mm-hmm. Every time our children had some kind of performance or whatever, we were there. If there were any issues, we were there, you know, mm-hmm. so that our children knew that we expected them to do their part in school and we're doing our part. Okay. Like you said, it's it's a partnership. Your children know that, you know, that's that's their job now to get a great education and they know that you're there to support them. Right. The, the schools are overwhelmed. The teachers are overwhelmed. Yes. And, and, and right now, even in a virtual setting, it's, it's even more challenging. I think sometimes 
we forget that we are their first teachers. We'll always be their first teachers. When we do put them in, in, in a school and educational setting, sometimes we give up our, our teaching role. That should never be given up as a parent. No. Whether you're, I say, because I'm an, I'm a homeschool parent, you know, I've been homeschooling for over a decade. Right. Um, but whether your child is in a physical school or your child is being homeschooled, you should know at what level and what is expected from that child, from whatever institution, for whatever program that you're using. That's right. Because as a parent, you're supposed to be able to guide them. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to use life experiences. And I think that's what I love about homeschool because I can use an experience we've had as a family to teach my kids. And yes. like a teacher wouldn't know those things. And so I, I I feel grateful and blessed to be able to do this. And I'll tell everyone listening to this podcast, homeschooling is not easy. I'm sure it's not. Think of parenting on another level because <clears throat> your mom as well as the teacher and sometimes your kids look at you they may not treat a stranger a certain way mm-hmm. but because it's you mom yes. and dad they can be loose they can you know tell you you know they can feel more comfortable i think it becomes a, a place of trust so they feel like they can they can just they trust you more and they expect certain things so you wouldn't do certain things to them <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or they wouldn't be in as much trouble. That's and right. I think when you become a parent and a teacher, it's it's setting the boundaries where your child understands that in this moment I am the teacher. The same yes. way you would treat a teacher is the same way I'm asking that you treat me. And that comes with with time and and just you know building that relationship and bond together. But it is the most beautiful experience that I've found when my kids understand the concept. When they when they get the idea and that light bulb goes off and it's like <laughs> aha I've gotten it, and then with homeschooling you don't necessarily have to keep them at that same level. So if your child is in one grade and they've they've surpassed that grade, you can continue mm-hmm. teaching, mm-hmm. and it's and it's a it's a really beautiful experience. So if you mm-hmm. if you ever have the opportunity, and I think during the pandemic a lot of parents have tested out you know right. homeschooling. Yeah. So I think homeschool homeschool families have grown during this time because parents get to see that they can be more flexible, they can mm-hmm. travel more, they can see the world, and they can use the world as their classroom. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, I, I I really I applaud you for doing it because I mean not only does it take a lot of discipline, but it takes a lot of knowledge to be and and resources to be able to give your child everything they need you know, when you're homeschooling them. Um, I, I, I applaud you, but did you, did your children, well, I know the younger one has, but did Ethan home, did he homeschool from the beginning? Yep. So he's never been in a public school. Never been in a public school. Since we moved to California. So there's something that New York is very different from California. Mm -hmm. So in New York, you, you send in kind of like your, your homeschool plan. Yes. And so once you send it to the state, they know what you're going to teach, what subjects you're going to teach, the resources that you're going to use. And every quarter you send in a report as to what you've completed. In California, it's a little different. So in California, we had to associate with a school. So it's the parents are the teachers. Mm-hmm. but you are 
associated with the school. So you you use the books that the kids in school would be using, okay. which which is great because now you you yeah. kind of have you have the plan, so it's mm -hmm. it's easier that way. Exactly. And then the kids get to have one call with the teacher once a week for like a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So they kind of check in with the teacher, but the parents are the teachers. So mm -hmm. it's a little different. Um, yeah. Very grateful that, you know, we have really good teachers. And from the first call we had, like Eric and I went on a call with the teacher and we told our job is to make your job easy. And she yeah. went, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure she did. <laughs> I said, that's what our job is. Yeah. We understand that this is a partnership and we're going to work together and we're going to make your job easy. I think every parent has to think that a teacher's goal, like they went into teaching because, you know, some of them maybe really wanted to teach, really wanted right. to guide children. And right. so you want to make that job easy. And they're there for you as a resource. If you have any questions, they're there. So whether you're homeschooling or you're in a traditional school, mm -hmm. remember that the institution is there to help you. And if you feel like they're not helping you, you know, then you go in and you introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. You let them know what you need. And that way you can start building a relationship because if they don't know that you exist, that right. you want that type of support, they're not going to give it to you because they're overwhelmed. That's right. So don't and think that it's, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and they, not that they're slighting your child, but if you are not involved and, and they don't see you, they don't know you, your child might kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit mm -hmm. um, because it's a partnership yeah. between you and the teacher and your child. You know, I mean, like with me, when my children were in school, if there was an issue, I would get a phone call in a minute. <laughs> Not to mention that I was at the school a lot because I was teaching the etiquette classes. So wow. all the teachers knew me. It, it, it was a wonderful thing for me, but my kids hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Mom. But, but yeah, exactly. But it's a partnership. And yeah. like you said, you have to let the teachers know we're here to help and support you. Yeah. What is my child doing and what can I do mm -hmm. to make this situation better so that he or she can learn what they need to learn? Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line, because when teachers are dealing with, you know, all kinds of physical problems, mm -hmm. fighting and things and and emotional problems, it takes away from their time to teach. Yeah. So the more that we can help them, you know, in that area and let them know that we're there, if there's a problem for them to contact us, the better off your child is going to be and the happier the teacher is going to be. Absolutely. You know, moving, moving from teaching and I know that you have a very strong bond with your daughter, Tiffany. Mm -hmm. And, and now she has two children of her own. What has it been like for you now that your daughter, your princess, is now a woman and she's, she, she has her own family now? And now you see Tiffany, but a smaller version, her children, her daughter reminds you of Tiffany. And I'm sure she's very much like Tiffany. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, she really is. Um, what is it like for you? Well, it took a little getting used to um, because your child is always your child. Yeah. Uh, but when she, you know, and and as you know, becoming a mother is not an easy thing. Um, and so I was there 
to help however I could. However, my my daughter my daughter is an independent person and mm -hmm. like her mom, and she likes to do things on her own. Yeah. So I had to learn to kind of take a step back. Yeah. Took a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. I had to kind of learn to take a step back. And she's she's a smart lady. Um, she's she's a good mom, yeah. and so she knows when to ask questions or when she's not sure if she wants to share something with me. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned to kind of take a step back. And sometimes I, I've learned to just ask questions, but not probing questions, mm -hmm. you know, like, so how's this going? Or, you know, yeah. how's that? Just general questions. Yeah. And if she wants to talk, she'll talk. If she doesn't, mm -hmm. she won't. And either way, it's fine. Um, because I know... See, this is why you really need to make sure that you give that your children that foundational base yeah. of love, yeah. education, and a spiritual grounding. Mm -hmm. Because when they become adults, you know, they want to do things on their own, and you have to allow them to do that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing was me realizing and I kind of realized this with my son but more so with my daughter mm -hmm. is that my role as a parent when they become adults and get and are out of school and on their own and have a mm -hmm. job is advisory. I like that. You know it's not for me to tell them what they should do because they don't listen to me anyway. <laughs> I mean sometimes they, let's, they listen, let's be real. Yeah. They listen but they do their own thing. Mm -hmm. But my role becomes advisory. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest lesson that I had to learn. But, you know, my time with my grandchildren is very special, especially with my granddaughter, because she is like her mom. Yeah. And I'm teaching her grandparent things, mm -hmm. you know, things that my that that my daughter doesn't really focus on because she's got two young children. I mean, her mm -hmm. son is, he just turned two today. As a matter of fact, today's oh, his birthday. Happy birthday. So, yes. Eli's two and Anella is four. So she has two young children, a husband, a home, a very demanding job, you know, but when I'm there, I talk about like the, the little things that, um, that grandmas can talk about with their granddaughters, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a wonderful I can't even explain what it's like to be a grandparent. I, I can't. It's just an amazing thing. And you get to teach, but you don't have the responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> well said. You can send them back to their mother you and can father. Send them back yep. to their mother and father. Yes. Yes. But yeah, it's um it, it takes you know, that, that first phase of your children becoming adults is when they go off to school and you have the empty nesting. Yeah. And then, depending on what they do, sometimes they come back home, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Mine did come back for a little while and then they left. But then you have to determine what your role is mm -hmm. as the parent of an adult child because it's totally different. And what you don't want to do is be one of those parents that, is trying to tell their children what to do as adults 
yeah. and alienate them. I was going to say that where you push them away. Yeah, yeah. Because just like we went through a lot of things, experiences, good and bad, mm -hmm. to become who we are, we have to allow them to do the same. We don't we don't want to do that. We don't want we want to help them to do it the easy way, but then they're not going to learn anything. Yeah. So, yeah, advisory role. I like That's that. That's my role. Yeah. I had a I had a social worker on a few episodes back, um, Jessica Marshall. Mm -hmm. And oh, she yes. and she stated something I I thought was so profound. She said she has become the mother she wanted her mother to be. Oh, wow. That's and, nice. And I that, like that. that translates almost into yeah. any, every phase of their development. Yeah, it's true. It's what true. you just it's, said. It's, and it's kind of like what I said before was that I took the things from my mom that I thought helped me to be mm -hmm. who I am. And I adapt, adopted those things as a mother mm -hmm. and the things that I thought that might have, maybe she should have done a little differently. Yeah. I did those things a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's really what that says yeah. that you be, you are becoming the mother that yeah. you wanted your mom to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think with every generation, it yeah. should be more and more like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. I think everyone needs to just be, grateful to their parents for what they did because our parents did the best they could with what they had that's correct that is Here correct and i say that all the time They're not I perfect did the best that i knew how with what i had what yeah. i saw you know yeah. some things i did right some things yeah. i look back and i say mm, i should have mm. done that a little differently but right. you you used the tools that you were given and your parents use the tools that they were given. And if along the way, every generation evolves their tools, can you imagine five, 10, 20 years down the line? Exactly. What that does for the generation and yes. just the lineage yes. and the family. And that's, that's so all we true. ask. That's all we ask. That's right. Just, that's just right. try, see what your parents did mm -hmm. and the things that worked, you know, you, you use those in your own family and the things mm -hmm. that you felt one of the best tools, then you can either evolve those tools or set those tools on the side. Right, right. But you know, one of the most gratifying things mm -hmm. is to hear your child when they become an adult tell you that you were a good parent. Those words meant more to me, and, I, and I've heard it from both of them. Those words meant more to me than anything else um, to hear them say that I was a good parent because that's my job to, be, you know, that that's the job. And when it's done, it's done. You don't get an opportunity to do it over again. No. So, you know, that's why for parents in this day and age, they have to, um, do whatever they feel is necessary to help their children to be the become the adults yeah. that are going to be successful mm -hmm. and self-functioning in mm -hmm. this world. Once they turn 18, if you haven't done those things that you should do, yeah. it's too late. Yeah, it's too late. So. With your granddaughter, what is one life lesson 
that you've already taught her at four. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so Anella's table manners <laughs> are, are developing, but need to be developed a little more. <laughs> and every time Grandma comes over mm-hmm. and they're eating, she gets a table manner lesson. Mm. Because again, my daughter and my son-in-law are teaching, but yeah. you know they, they have a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah. And I even remember with my own children, I don't think I really started enforcing table manners with yeah. them until they were in like maybe first, second grade, something yeah. like that. And then we got really serious about yeah. it. But with her, you know, I sit there <laughs> and I see her, you know, eating with her hands when she should have a fork. And <laughs> We even had a lesson one time about how to hold the fork properly. I thought to myself, she's probably saying, would this lady go home and leave me alone? <laughs> but I, I think, and now I see, I see her doing better. Mm-hmm. You know, I see, and, and when she's eating, I'll say, I don't see that you used your napkin. You know, and she'll pick up her napkin. <laughs> But I think that is the biggest life lesson thus far that we yeah. have been sharing is her table manners. And she's uh, doing better. She's I love it. Better. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, boy. you know, Linda, you've been, you've been retired for a few years now. What is it like to be in retirement? Was it what you thought it would be? Is it different? Well, I will say the first thing I'll say about retirement is you need to have a plan and you need to have a plan before you retire. What are you going to do? Because otherwise you may just sit and watch TV for the rest of your life, which is not why you should retire. Yep. Not healthy. No. So when I retired, which will be four years in May. Already? um, Already four years. I knew that what I wanted to do was to do my business, you know, more so than I had been because it had been like a part time business because I just, you know, I had a very demanding career and I didn't have the time to um, lend to it that I wanted to. I did some research, you know, about what you do when you retire. So when I retired, I told my husband, I said, the day after I retire, I want to take a trip to Florida to hang out with my siblings for two weeks. And that's what I did. And while I was down there, you know, I hung out and had fun or whatever, but I just thought about, you know, what, what should retirement look like for me? And so I have, I started out with a very rigid schedule because I'm so afraid of becoming a couch potato, which I don't think will really happen to me because I'm just not that, but I'm so, af- I was so it's afraid. It's not of- in your DNA. <laughs> I don't think it is either, but it's in my head. So, <laughs> so I started, I had a schedule and I started, I retired in the summer mm-hmm. and I've been walking. I've been walking uh, since my daughter was born and she's, well, she might not want me to, she's in her thirties. Yes. So I've been walking a very long time. So, I would get up in the morning. I would, because my husband was still working when I first retired. Mm-hmm. I'd get up in the morning early, do my devotion, my prayers, go mm-hmm. walking, come back, shower, have a little breakfast, 
and then figure out what I was doing. And I was writing at that time. Actually, I was finishing up my third book. So that kept me busy for a while. Mm -hmm. um, that was 2018. And then in 2019, the book was published. So that, that kept me busy for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but I tried to have day I tried to have days when I was doing nothing. Um, even if I just drove to the beach and walked on the beach or I went to the park, you know, just to enjoy the time. Yeah. Um, and I thought about whether or not I wanted to work part time, but the biz the, the book coaching increased. So that kind of became my part time job. So now fast forward, it's four years. Um, I'm busy at church because I'm, uh, I have a, a business ministry where I help young entrepreneurs uh, who are Christians mm -hmm. to start their businesses. So we would meet once a month. So that keeps me busy. The book coaching keeps me busy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the etiquette has fallen off a little bit. I hang out. Sometimes I have to go pick up my my granddaughter from school in the afternoon. So I went to Florida again uh, this past summer. And I was like, you know, I, I need to kind of find more space for myself because I'm too busy. And I don't want to yeah. be this busy. I want to enjoy myself. I discovered an app. And with that app, I can schedule. So now I work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Tuesday and Thursday, I if I have to clean house or if I have to run errands or I just, one of those days, I try to not do anything. Um, and so that has become my retirement because I have to keep busy. I, I, I truly believe that just because you're retired doesn't mean that your life retires. To me, it means that you transition from one phase of your life to the next and in that next phase what do you want to do um and some people want to travel but i, I have to be honest um you know having put two children through college and you know one getting married and having a house and all these other things you know it's financially i do some traveling and I want to do some more like the, the year that I retired, we all went to Ghana um, because that's where my son-in-law is from. The whole family went. It was an amazing trip. But you have to decide what you want to do. And if you have enough money where you can travel a lot, that's wonderful. If you don't, then you have to decide what are you going to do. Do you want to go back to school? Do you want to take a course? Um, do you want to teach a course? You know, a lot of times the local libraries, I teach a journaling course once a week on Fridays um, to teach people how to journal and about write just the basics of writing and that kind of thing. So, you you know, you need to sit down with pen and paper and just decide what do I want my retirement to look like? Because my retirement probably looks different from somebody else's, but it's about enjoying what I call the fourth quarter of your life. And that fourth quarter might be a long one. You know, sometimes there's overtime in a football game. <laughs> so you don't know how long it's going to be without enjoying the fourth quarter of your life. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. Like you said, retirement looks different for many different people. It could look the same 
for maybe twins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could. But it the could. average person, it, it will look different. And it is the transition to a new stage. And that's that time of your life where you just, just think of yourself. If you had yeah. children, they're older now. You yes. get to be a grandparent. If you're so blessed to see your children have children. Right. But it's your time and figuring yeah. out what do you want to do for you. Mm-hmm. And enjoying every moment before that's this true. experience is over because yeah. life, life is a gift. That's correct. That's correct. And and I've even learned to say no, <laughs> which has been very hard. But but yeah. I had to say to myself, if I don't say no, people will be pulling me in all kinds of different directions. Yeah. And that's not why I retire. Mm-hmm. You know, I will help whenever I can. But if I really don't feel like I want to do it or it's too much for me to take on, no, then I don't do it. Yeah, I don't. Even if you realize in your retirement that you do have to do something part time, you do have to work part time because let's face it, the way things are now, um, some retirees, that may be the case, but try to do something that you like, Yeah, even if you have to work part time. Or if you can't do something you like, try to do something that's not too stressful because this shouldn't be a stressful time in your life. It should be an enjoyable time of your life. Beautiful. Linda, moving on from retirement, I want to ask you the question of the podcast. And it is, when did you feel throughout the many quarters of your life when you became a beast mama, where you showed up for yourself not for anyone else, just for Linda in the best way that you knew how and you felt like you rocked it? You know, I want to say that it was sometime in my middle 50s. Mm. I had decided that I wanted to go back to school to get my master's in education because I felt like it was going to uh, help me with my etiquette business, especially. And so I was going to school part-time. My daughter was, it was her last year. No, she was in college. She started, yeah, I started the year after she started college. Uh, My son was on his own and I was still working full-time. I was still doing etiquette workshops. I was still very active in my church. And, but I was loving every minute of it. It was somewhat stressful. It was difficult. Um, But I felt like I was just at a point in my life where I was doing, I was doing what I had to do, but I was also doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Now I'm just doing pretty much what I want to do. But, it, <laughs> but at that stage in my life, I was doing some things that I still had to do, but I was also beginning to do things that I wanted to do. It helped me to find myself, find out who I was, um, gain more of an independence. Because, you know, when you're a wife and a mother, they're all people are always pulling on you. And, and I, it still took me some time to get away from that. But at least I felt like I was doing something that I wanted to do for myself. School was hard, especially in your fifties, going back to school. That was, it was tough, but I enjoyed it. And I was 
so proud of myself when I accomplished it because I'd always said I wanted to get my master's and it was an opportunity for me to do it. And I think that's really when I started to come into my own. Yeah. I'm hearing your voice. It's funny you, you asked me that because I was thinking about it the other day. Because um, as I told you, I keep a journaling class and I have been journaling myself since 1997. Wow. Yeah, I have a whole bin of journals when when i'm long gone they can look through and see my whole life experience yeah. but i was looking through my journals um the other day and i was thinking about that time frame and i was like wow how did i do that i was working i was doing edit i would leave work sometimes because i had a um a position where i had the flexibility i would leave work to do workshops and then come back to work because as long as, you know, it was a professional job, my supervisor allowed me to do it. Um, and as long as, you know, nothing fell through the cracks with my job. So I would leave work, do the workshops, come back to work. You know, I would get home and then I'd have to go to school. And yeah, it was, it was a lot, but I, I really think that's when I started to come into my own and I really realized that I could do a lot of things that I really didn't realize that I had the capability to do. Mm -hmm. You you will be small, but you wouldn't be small. I was. Yeah. I was. Yeah. You made it happen. I did. You know, I've known you as an adult. So I've known Linda as an as a woman. But who was that little girl? who's become the Linda that I met back then? I was a very shy person, very quiet. Because um, I, I was raised as an only child. I actually didn't realize I had siblings um, on my, my, my father's side, my biological father's side, until I was an adult, well into my 50s. Um, and so I, I was very shy. I was raised, you know, on a farm in upstate New York. I just, and because my mother was who she was, I really wasn't allowed to associate with a lot of the other kids. I mean, I went to school with them, but as far as, you know, going to their house and that kind of, I wasn't allowed to do that. And so, yeah, it may, I was very sheltered. Um, and then I went to college and, you know, it, things happened. You know, I, I, find, I got through that, met my husband there. Um, but yeah, I was a very shy child. And, and I look at myself now because I, I still am real. My inner child yeah, is still yeah. shy. And I said this to you earlier. It's yeah, only yeah. when I begin to talk about my passion you know, I, I am amazed that I could stand in front of a hundred people and do a dining etiquette workshop. Yeah. The first time I did that, I was I was like, wow, I just did that. I was amazed. Yeah. But it was big. And for the first few minutes, you know, the shy person was there. But I was like, OK, God, you got to help me get through this. Mm -hmm. And once I started teaching, I just I was, you know, around the room. I was engaging. I was it, it was awesome. So to see myself as that shy child 
and see who I am today is amazing. My prayer life um, and listening when I felt the word, the Holy Spirit say, go do this. It was a lot of people in my life who mentored me, as I said earlier, and pushed me and, you know, got me out there to do things when I don't want to do them. Like my former pastor who asked me to do the announcements at our church. And he asked me, like, think about it. And then the next Sunday, he called me up and said, Linda Williams will now be doing the announcements. Those are the kinds of things that happened in my life to get me to where I am. So I learned that if someone who I trust is asking me to do something, there's a reason why they're asking me to do it. There's something in there for me to either learn or grow to another level. Yeah. Beautiful. You mentioned your husband, Henry, like meeting your husband. How long yeah. have you been married and what has it been like being married to, to someone for that many years? I think my, my parents just celebrated 52 years Okay. on the 27th of December last year. Okay. Yeah. That's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have... We have been together for 48 years Wow! and married for 43. It'll be 44 years next month. Um, marriage is, to be married for that long, you have to truly be committed, mm-hmm. not just to the other person, but to the vows you made in front of God. Yeah. Because the person might get on your nerves and you might say, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. But when you remember that those vows that you made before God, yeah. you have to persevere and get through it. Yeah. Um, and we've had some wonderful times. We've had some difficult times. You know, now it's um, we're kind of I, I want to say we're almost like kind of on a. Not a roller coaster, because that's up and down. It's more like a treadmill <laughs> because, because, you know, both our children are adults. We're in the, ho- we're in the house by ourselves, the house mm-hmm. where we raise them. And uh, things are just very mellow for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, and I, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. I've grown a lot as a result of being married. I've gotten a lot stronger as a result of being married. And my relationship with God has grown tremendously as a result of being married. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's been good. We've, we've gone on a lot of wonderful trips, done a lot of wonderful things, both with the children and on our own. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a pretty decent life, all things being considered. I feel very blessed. Um, because, as I said, marriage, you know, when, when you tell people you've been married almost 44 years, they're like, what? Yeah. With the same person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Like, people, you know, you have half, 50% of people who get married get divorced. Yeah. It's That's the statistics. That's and right. so... It's not something that's easy. And people, you know, who may not be married, look at married people and say, you got it. You got it. Don't pat. You got a partner. You got someone. And I tell them it's um, you have to wake up every day wanting 
a better marriage, wanting a healthy marriage and work at it. And that's that's all we do every day. We work on our marriage and we work on ourselves. Period. That's right. That's it. Yeah. It's not easy. No, it's not. Because the problem becomes when you're trying to make the other person something instead of trying to find out who you are mm-hmm. and make yourself a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, and, and it, you know, it evolves daily. Almost. Absolutely. It evolves daily. And, yeah. and you have to be willing to deal with whatever happens on a daily basis. Some days Which is a lot. Be, it is. Some days are going to be great. Mm-hmm. Some days you're not even going to want to talk to each other. And that's okay. And that's reality. It's okay because that is reality. Because yeah. we are two human beings mm-hmm. coming together to live together mm-hmm. for a long period of time. Yeah. And, we, and we're supposed to become as one. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes that gets a little difficult. Sometimes it's difficult. Yeah. And it, it's... um. When when you when you come together as one, you're coming together, but you've both come in with, with different levels of trauma. That's correct. And so you're coming as affected individuals. You're coming traumatized. Yeah. And once you know that you're flawed, you, you come to the table and say, Here is my flawed self. I'm not perfect. And um, but I choose to be with you. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to a a lifetime together. Like Eric and I am married for 16 years now, what, 19 okay. years together. Okay. And I look back and I'm like, wow, that's a long time. Like, <laughs> like not really. <laughs> like I've known you for that long. And then my I mom know. goes, and then my mom goes, yeah, I've been married for 52 years. Yeah, now. right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I am grateful to have found someone to, to share this experience with period. Yeah. And it's, it's, we waited like what, five years to work on ourselves and to work on our relationship before we had children. Mm-hmm. And I tell people it's, it's not easy. Anything that you want in life, it's, you have to work hard for it. That's correct. Whether it's your health, yes. your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your marriage, your right. children, whatever it is, you want to write a book, you have to work hard at it. And, and marriage is no different. No, you have not. to work at it. And it starts with working on yourself. Yes, that's correct. That is correct. Yeah. Can you share an experience when you were growing up as a child that really shaped that really shaped your existence? Something that happened to you growing up that you remember that that has stood out your entire life to you, that has made you the adult the mother, the grandmother that you are today. It could be something that you experienced with your mom, your grandma, an aunt, an uncle that has really impacted who you are. Um, I remember that when I was like, I think 13, um, one of my aunts, my mother, one of my mother's sisters came to live with us mm-hmm. um, for about a year. And she was, I think she was like 22, 23. Mm-hmm. I was 12 or 13 at the time. But um, she came to live with us for a year. And we had a great time. I mean, we, we really connected. She has since passed away, but we really connected. And 
when she was going back home to Florida, I wanted to go with her um, to spend the summer with my grandfather, just to spend the summer with my grandfather. And so my mother agreed and I went down there and uh, spent the summer with him. I never really spent that much time around him before because, you know, we would go, we would drive down to Florida for the holidays and spend it with family. But, you know, there's a lot of other people around and stuff going on and we're back and forth. But mm-hmm. this was kind of, uh, it, it just, it helped me to better understand my mom and how she grew up. Mm-hmm. And it helped me to better understand, you know, my, my heritage from my grandfather's side of the family. Um, and the sad thing was that at the end of that summer, he passed away while I was down there. Wow. So I am so thankful that my mom allowed me to go down there for that summer and that I could spend the time that I spent with him because there are things that he did that I, I still remember, you know, um, like we would go to, we would go to the grocery Mm -hmm. store. And if there was a sale at the grocery store and it was a limit of like three, he would say, okay, I'm going to get three. I'm going to give you money and you get three. (laughs) He says, you know, because you got to be able to stock up on things when you can, because you never know when hard times are coming and you know, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have these things. Um, so I, you know, I always remember that or just, you know, sitting on the front steps with him eating, yeah. eating orange or just though that memory of that summer um, really helped. And as I said, I was 12, 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, and it really helped me to better understand my mom and my grandfather. Yeah. What was his heritage? Um, His... Dad was from the United States, mm-hmm. um, and his mom was from the West Indies. I don't remember; I can't remember mm. where, but she was from the West Indies. So we, so we have a West Indian connection, yeah. but no, <laughs> yeah, we <see>? do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah we. I, I say we are special breed. <laughs> Ask Eric, he'll tell you. You married to a West Indian. They're unique. It's an experience. Oh, man. But yeah, just as a little bit of an aside, when I told you we went on this trip to Ghana, Mm -hmm. um, and as an African-American going to Africa for the first time, that is another life-changing event that I will never forget. Uh-huh. Um, it was, it was, it was undescribable. It really was. And, and the wonderful thing of it was that we had someone, my son-in-law who, you know, could take us to places that normal tourists wouldn't go. And it was just such an amazing trip. It helped me to understand where I came from, Yeah, you know, and, and I, I say that anyone from African descent, whether West Indies or African-American or wherever you came from, if you ever get the opportunity to go, you should go because it it really is life-changing. You have motivated so many women, young men at your church. 
you know, they look to you as the pillar of etiquette. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> they already know Miss, Miss Sister Linda's in the room. Let's straighten up. I already know what happened. Your granddaughter, she's four and she knows. Yes. Who motivates you? Who inspires you? Who inspires you? Mm-hmm. Well, one of one of my most important inspirers was Pastor Lewis. Yeah. Um, and and you're talking about living inspirations yeah. today. Yeah. Well, okay. My mom comes first. Yeah. Um, Reverend Hooper, who was my pastor before. Pastor Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, he was the one that had me stand up and do the announcements. <laughs> um, he was the one who inspired me to write a book oh. because we were sitting in church one Sunday and this was in 2008. Wow. And he was talking about then how people were behaving in church and being rude. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and he says, you should write a book on church etiquette. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to write a book. (laughs) Why me? Yeah, why me? Um, And then there was Pastor Lewis. Um, There was also this lady. uh, Her name is Petronelli. She worked, she was manager actually at a... um, a local spa and uh, uh, a spa and beauty um, place where you could go, mm-hmm. you could get your hair done, your nails done, go mm-hmm. to the spa. And someone introduced me to her. I went there to get my hair done. That's mm-hmm. what happened. And the lady that was doing my hair introduced me to her. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me. This was, oh my gosh, maybe 10 years ago. And she said, and she had she had a, a, a accent. She was from um, I'm not sure if she was from England or where. Mm-hmm. She said, "You must have the right image, and mm-hmm. I want to help you to have the right image." And things that she shared with me, I still take with me today. Wow. Uh, who is my inspiration now? Mm-hmm. Um. I want to say my children's godmother, mm. both of them. I have two. Um, they're, they have two. They're, they're both older, but they are inspirations for me. And uh, my best friend, <laughs> my best friend in the, in the world, and I'm going to call her out. Her name is Patronelle. Um, we've known each other for over 40 years. We talk to each other just about every day. Um, but she inspires me and I inspire her. So, and so my, my goal is to inspire someone else now, you know, all those people have inspired me and helped me to be who I am. And now I want to be the one to inspire other people to be the best that they can be. Even when they don't realize, you know, that they have it. Well, you inspire me. Oh, that makes me yeah. feel so good. They have yeah. to keep trying. Yeah. yeah. You inspire me because I know that sometimes things intimidate you, especially technology. <laughs> yes. And you'll tell me outright. 
far. I don't know if I can do this. And I say, yes, you can. I'll help you. But the thing about you is you will try. Yes. And I admire that. Even if you're not sure, you still try. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. Because it becomes like a, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? A challenge. It becomes a challenge for me to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I can't, I mean, it's like the online, my online course. I built it from scratch wow. during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I built the whole course and it took, you know, my, my children and uh, my website administrator mm -hmm. kind of guiding me a little bit, but I, I did it all on my own. Yeah. I did that. And with the help of the Lord, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you yeah. challenge yourself and that's how you I do. I do. And that's how we go. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's what we have to do. That's yeah. right. To our listeners, understand that when you challenge yourself, when you get out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. when you try something maybe you haven't tried before or you intimidated by, you allow yourself to grow. You allow yourself to evolve and gain a new skill and a new that's perspective, correct. which is beautiful. Yes. yes, that's correct. You know, Linda, this, this has been a beautiful conversation. I am so grateful that you took the time out. To, well, to just come and, and, and sit with me and just share your story with others. Well, Thank now you. that you've told me, you, you've made me tell my entire life story. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably write a book based on what we talked about in the last hour and a half. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's what I want the podcast to be. I want it to be an opportunity of women just sharing. Yeah. Just sharing some nice. experiences that they've had. And to, to allow yourself to reminisce on, on your life yeah. and as well as to help someone else who may be going through a similar challenge that you've gone through right. and how you were able to persevere. They look at you and they're like, well, Linda did it. Now I can do it too. There might be a mom who's working at getting her degree and going through college right now. And she's not sure if she can do it, but she just heard Linda say that she could do it and she did do it. Yeah. And she now feels like, hey, if Linda did it, I can do it too. Right. right. And that's all it is, sharing stories. So yeah. thank you. Well, I thank you for the opportunity, really. It, you know, sometimes you don't realize how much um, you can be of help to people until somebody asks you about it. Yeah. You know, so I, I thank you for the opportunity to share my story and, share you know some of the things that i've been through and i hopefully you know i'll be able to help someone else and if you're looking to write a book look me up yeah and uh yeah one of the things that i've learned is you run yeah. but you have to rest yeah you have to take time to rest even if it's just a day yeah. or two yeah. you know you don't work this hard just to keep working mm -mm. you work this hard so that you can enjoy what you've worked for.